to episode 117 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 15th of March, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hey, hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's start with a new hope for search. So Brave, the browser maker and blockchain enthusiasts, have bought a search engine, and they are promising that it's going to have no tracking and no profiling, and there might even be a paid-for, no-ad version. And it'll also have a thing called Goggles, which is not Google Goggles, and I think is an unwise thing to call it, but there we go. But anyway, this is where you can create your own rules and filters and potentially manipulate them and stuff. But what do we all think about this then? Is this a decent alternative to Google search and Bing? Is it based in America by an American company? Yes, therefore it's useless. I agree with you, Phelim. I I love the idea of uh, a less restrictive, more open, more um, democratic search engine, but I just don't believe that anybody can really crack that market. And they're talking about the the paid option uh, for people who want to, to give their money to see search results without ads will allow you to receive 70% of the payment made by the advertiser in cryptocurrency. So there it is. There's buzzword bingo all in one article. And as as we've been talking, I mean, I, I've i looked into the browser because I was sure that it wasn't fully open source, but I now can't find any kind of evidence to suggest that there are parts that aren't open source. But there's still a nagging sense that there isn't quite as much transparency over the Brave project and maybe Brave Search that I would like at least to kind of invest in a new search engine mentally. But then it is an alternative to Chromium or Chrome. Um, and you know, it's based, the browser's based on Chromium anyway, but we, we kind of accept that by using Google. So it maybe mixes it up a little bit. I don't accept that. <laughs> <laughs> Firefox forever. <laughs> I really don't know where I stand on Brave because on the one hand, they talk a good talk and they seem to be wanting to affect serious change in the tech industry. But then on the other, they have this blockchain cryptocurrency bullshit, which just puts me off. Am I being too cynical there? And should I accept that sometimes cryptocurrency stuff can be good? I don't know. When it comes to privacy, I think you should be as cynical as possible, to be quite honest, because like, while for most of us living in a democracy, it's not a big deal. If someone in another country is using this and it doesn't turn out to follow all those rules that it says it will... You know, that could be lives on the line, et cetera, for human rights activists or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, I think you have to be massively skeptical about these types of things, especially if you're touting it as your one true sort of goal. Um, you really have to be on the ball with it all. So, and additionally, I can't help but feel burned by DuckDuckGo having made the mental investment to try and get on board with it, only to find it to be useless, frankly. I just can't help but think that this is going to go the same way. You can't just be a, a search engine that's that beats Google by being more free or more open. You need to be better and look at the size of Google. Admittedly, a lot of that is around sales and other stuff. But nevertheless, you need to be a massive corporation to have the resources to invest into building a better search engine. And I can't believe that Brave are able to do that. I wish to be proven wrong. Yeah, and the odds are increasingly stacked against another search engine being able to succeed when we have so many kind of, I don't want to say 
Google facing technologies that help just Google. But I mean, it certainly feels like the case with the web at the moment, and it's becoming so complicated. Things like AMP, you mean? Yeah, I do mean things like AMP, but also, you know, the single sign on or the services that people use, anything that's kind of linked back to Google or Facebook or whatever. It all makes it harder for a rival search engine because, you know, that data can be anonymized and then used to create effective algorithms, I imagine. But surely the only way to get away from Google and Microsoft and Facebook and the big, huge, in fact, tech companies is to do something independent like this because DuckDuckGo is just Bing or Google if you put Bang G or whatever. And Start page is just Google, isn't it? Whereas this, we're talking about something that is completely different. It's it's independent. I mean, there are other ones out there. I mean, there are things like Search X or however you pronounce that one, Cirques. Yeah, and we talked about that, but they're all shit. Yeah, they might well be, but I think that is the problem that Brave is going to stumble into, where, as Will was saying, unless you've got all of that resource there, you're, you're going to end up in the same boat. And, you know, we usually give out to <laughs> Mozilla for not concentrating on the browser and here's a browser company not concentrating on the on the browser and off they go to search engines so um i think we equally have to give out to them maybe i don't know yeah maybe well i've signed up to be notified about this and i do look forward to trying it out i'm skeptical and i worry that it's not going to be as good as google but i think that it's worth a try and maybe they should concentrate on the browser but you know they're not making a whole engine from scratch like Mozilla are maintaining that. They're inheriting a lot from the Chromium project. So maybe they can do stuff like this and make a difference. And potentially, maybe they could grow into the Mozilla replacement that we want to see. Is that just fantasy? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> on to a bit of admin then. And thank you, everyone who's supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And latenightlinux.com slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. And a reminder that the next community mumble get-together will be on Friday the 26th of March at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a Mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. As we sit here and record, in just over a week, it will be one year since the first lockdown in the UK. So a year ago, it was like all looking pretty bad and the shops were empty and you couldn't get bog roll and 
pasta and stuff and it was all a nightmare we were already a week into our lockdown don't you know in ireland so (laughs) well yes because your government is slightly more competent than ours but nevertheless it's about a year for most people since this shit got real and so i wanted to talk to you a lot about what do you think has changed for linux fast open standards privacy has anything changed or are we just exactly the same but a year older and more bored I think in many ways, it's very difficult for me as somebody who works in the tech industry and somebody who uses the internet extensively for their communication, their shopping, their social interaction, their entertainment, to really see a whole lot of difference in the world. If anything, it seems like more people have come to my way of thinking, let's say. There's been a massive amount of companies who have closed offices, who have moved out of like San Francisco, for example, and have said they're not going to have an office anymore, that everybody will work remotely. And if you're employed by one of those companies, then this is perhaps a a life-changing opportunity. You could go somewhere in the world and work and keep your old job, but not do it from somewhere exciting. Uh, You know, a lot of us, I think all of us, in fact, have been doing that for for a long time. So nothing's really changed there. I continue to watch Netflix when I'm bored and I continue to diddle around on the Internet the rest of the time. And so for me personally, nothing's really changed at all. And I've been lucky enough to have a consistent job throughout lockdown. I've gone to work every day. I've got paid. My kids haven't really noticed. They haven't gone to school, but they've been too busy watching telly. I mean, doing homeschooling to really notice. So... (laughs) You know, I, I I feel like I have been extremely lucky and got off very lightly. That said, there's a little bit of me that says, I wish I had a year off work because that would be fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, not much has changed for most of us because we all work from home and did do before all of this. But the shift of everybody or a lot of people to working from home surely has changed things. It's meant a lot more investment in IT and our industry generally, hasn't it? I don't know about that, because every other week you can see ISPs blowing up left, right and centre where they've maybe been trying to get away with not investing in kit for so long, and now it's all dying and they're getting caught out. But you've been working your bollocks off this last year, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, and I I continually am thankful for the fact that I am, because I I know a lot of people are caught hard out by this as well, but... um, yeah, no, for me, it, it's it been busy as usual. I mean, yeah, I didn't get to go on some work trips that I was organized to go on, and I'm obviously bitter and twisted about that. But uh, yeah, no, otherwise it's been busy as anything, yeah. I also think a real positive is that we had the technology at hand to be able to do it. Um, it wasn't so long ago we couldn't have, at least here in the UK, with rural broadband, it, doing video conferencing would have been absolutely impossible. I know it's still difficult for a lot of people, but it's amazing that the country and Europe and the world, by and large, has been able to transition to working from home without... It's, it's actually been a possibility rather than maybe in the 80s it would have been impossible. Um, so I don't know what would have happened then. Um, how that might affect Linux and open source, I, I think the same. I think, yeah, it could only be positive because in many ways it's it's an operating system and an ecosystem that's built for this exact way of interacting. Um, and with more people doing that, it's going to lead to more contributors. Me personally, I'm kind of insular. Um, I've never really understood shopping centers. So, you know, <laughs> I've, 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 it's been pleasing to not have to make excuses to not go out. It is very interesting that the 
distributed development method around like various source code things, but especially Git, which was designed to support a project where the developers are in every single conceivable country in the world. Just being able to overnight suddenly become essential to the development of software. And, you know, no, nothing changes for these people. Like you say, Graham, this is just the way that we've been set up to work for so long. So certainly from my perspective, the impact on open source has been very much business as usual. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would normally have worked in an office that suddenly have, you know, got to try and be productive while perched on the edge of their bed because there's nowhere else for them to work. And and that must be very difficult. But yeah, the technology that we have at our fingertips, the way that these projects have been designed and run for years means that on the whole, I think that nobody's really noticed. It's been pretty bad for privacy though, hasn't it? When you consider that Zoom is the standard for video comms now, and all of the bullshit that goes with that, the tracking of people and listening to their mics and you know all the plugins and being able to see whether they have got that window focused and stuff like that. It just feels like a privacy nightmare. If you work for a company that is doing that, I suggest you cease working for a company that does that and go and get a job somewhere else. All right, Stallman, that's the kind of shit that he says. Like, oh yeah, if you work for a proprietary software company, well, yeah, good luck feeding your kids then. Get it out of here. I don't know. I, it feels to me like a lot of that is um, fear-mongering in the press. The same press that argue that everybody needs to get back in the office, otherwise the end of the world is nigh, and whose investors all have a lot of property going you know, empty at the moment. <laughs> Personally, I don't believe a lot of those, um, those stories. And that was around, um, I'm sure that was Microsoft Teams that was doing that um, idle timeouts and all that sort of shit. But people haven't really moved to Jitsi in their droves, have they, or Mumble? Not in the droves, but I do have some examples where people have used them in even medical contexts for meeting. And, you know, I think that's good. I mean, you don't have to take over the world straight away, but I think as long as you can get some of the products out there, I think people have seen that some of the stuff we've got is useful. You're never going to be able to compete the likes of Zoom who can, you know, ramp up magical investor angel funds or whatever the hell they call them and you know unicorn some cash in there because and then spin a data center up but i mean as long as you can get the the message across like maybe all of those horrible zoom stories have been beneficial in some way where we can use them in the next few years where we can say look you remember all those things yeah well try not to do that this time and use these products instead yeah i think that's a really good point because zoom seemed to come out of nowhere um, yeah, it wasn't the video conferencing system of choice, as far as I was aware. And then suddenly it was. And um, people who'd never heard of video conferencing before suddenly had heard of Zoom. So it just feels like a, a door has been opened into that whole product realm. And people will be more aware of the choice that's out there, the options that they've got. And hopefully IT companies will be a little bit savvy now about the sorts of problems that come with these proprietary systems and they could start looking at web rtc based ones open standards and even open source i think that's dreaming man i think the network effect of zoom the mind share that zoom has now got like people it's like hoover almost like you buy a henry or a dyson you still call it a hoover i talked to my mate he's got one of those google home things that like fucking tracks him as he walks around his kitchen and talking to me getting a beer um and, you know, we do that on Meet, but a lot of people would refer to that as, oh, we had a Zoom, you know, I Zoomed him or whatever, like even though it was using Google Meet. 
Like, I think that it has just totally won that mind share. And the network effect is that it is the standard and people won't be moving to WebRTC-based solutions. I don't know. I don't think that's fair because if you look at what's happened with WhatsApp, they changed their terms of service. Everybody went apeshit and dropped them and you saw everybody signing up to Signal slash Telegram and the numbers changing so crazy that they like crippled Signal servers. People have a bit more cop on now in this last year. I think it's a double-edged sword though for the likes of Zoom. All they've got to do is fuck up once now and everybody will hear about it and then start looking for an alternative, maybe. Yeah, but what will that alternative be? It'll be the Meet or Teams, won't it? Well, maybe after this, companies will look into hosting their own, or at least, you know, paying for their own hosted versions of something that has to be open source, because they want ownership over such an important part of their social infrastructure. I don't know, man. I don't think Mattermost was doing particularly well before or now compared with Teams and Slack. They need a better name. Yeah. That's what it all comes down to. But where you communicate with your team matters most. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the point. Well, we use it at Canonical, and it works really well, and I think Mozilla uses it. So I guess maybe it is just changing the name. Maybe it is just rebranding it and putting it out there. Because I imagine the charges companies like Slack might make in the future are only going to go up and perhaps become more restrictive as they try and increase their revenues for an IPO. The Slack charges, it's... I looked into it recently. It's unbelievable. It's all well and good when it's free. But then if you want to go corporate, it's it's based on the number of users and stuff. And it is very expensive and adds up very quickly. You can see why they have this freemium model and, and how it works. And I suppose maybe when companies see that and think, hmm, yeah, well, we could just have Mattermost for a fraction of that cost, then, yeah, maybe, or Matrix or whatever it is, that's self-hosted or or even pay someone to host it for you, you know, managed or whatever. But if it's open source, then you would imagine it's going to be cheaper than Slack. Definitely, because any one of us could set up a competitor with the same stack. Yeah, exactly. Well, it'll be interesting to see in another year when hopefully things have got a bit more back to normal, whether people do go back to the office and what has changed long term. Because I think it's going to take at least another year before we know what's changed long term. and hopefully things will be better than when we started all of this somehow there has to be some silver lining to this enormous horrible fucking cloud the one good thing for me has been that we seem to be living in the world that tomorrow's world was offering us back in the sort of mid 80s where everybody had a teletype machine and could order up a holiday and communicate with via electronic messages and all that sort of thing so it does feel a little bit like everyone's living in the future at last yeah, I've been trying to sellotape my phone into my jaw all last week. Still haven't got flying cars though, have we? <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the full-stack observability platform for real-time Linux monitoring. Create drag-and-drop dashboards to easily monitor enriched log data, seamlessly trace requests across distributed systems, and pivot between correlated data for rapid troubleshooting. With Datadog, you can improve performance with proactive alerts, forecasting Linux OS resource usage, and more. Break down communication barriers and add context to those alerts by notifying your team members through the tools you already use, such as Slack, PageDuty, or others. Try Datadog and get full visibility into your environment today at datadog.com slash late night Linux. Sign up for a two-week trial, create a dashboard, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. 
That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. Now for some feedback. So Stuart wrote in and he said, you skipped over the Sean Davis thing a bit, I thought, Joe. It got talked about here a little, but you said on the show that you couldn't see what appeal elementary would have for a Ubuntu user. And he was pretty clear about that, right? Their community has a lower percentage of shouty, opinionated arseholes. Smiley face. Yeah, this was in Telegram, and I didn't really see that until after he'd posted it, so I didn't reply to him there. But um, yeah, I did gloss over that a little bit, I suppose. Um, But what I meant was that it's just a bit of a weird choice like from a desktop point of view. It's such a different paradigm. Like Going from XFC to Mate or even Plasma makes more sense to me than Elementary and Pantheon. Is it not the case that... like? moaning about all oh, the communities full of shouty arseholes like isn't that just a bit of a cop-out like isn't that a bit of an excuse to just blame it on that when maybe he might just be a bit bored of xfc i don't know maybe that's uh, disparaging and i shouldn't say that but uh but i don't know i i don't i can't see that any community is any better than the others i know that elementary do a good job of uh corralling their community but there are still some real fucking arseholes on their reddit and stuff so, I, I don't know. I'm not really having that as an argument. Maybe you just want to go from the Stone Age into the sort of Neolithic or... No, elementary is a very modern paradigm. And, and that's why I think it's an odd choice. Because, you know, I, I like what they're doing and I understand what they're doing, but it's just not really for me as an XFCE user. And uh, we have some feedback from Nirav, who's the founder at Framework, which we discussed the Framework laptop um, a couple of episodes ago, the one that had the replaceable parts. And I think actually Will and I were quite negative about it. Anyway, this is the feedback. Um, Thanks for the feedback in your podcast. Just a few quick notes. We won't be making consumers pay a premium for longevity. We know that this isn't practical or realistic and a realistic option for consumers. We hope that folks will be pleasantly surprised by the pricing we announced prior to opening pre-orders this spring. In addition to the historically replaceable modules like memory, storage and Wi-Fi, all of which, as you noted, are increasingly sold these days, we did design them for mainboard replaceability from the outset, taking into account what we see in the pipeline for standards and silicon roadmaps. And then finally, he writes, We know that ultimately the proof is in the delivery, not just in our first set of modules, but in the regular availability of upgrade modules. This is the core purpose of our company, where it has been something of a side project for others who have explored modular electronics like the Motorola Rara infamously. Mm. All good points, really. And nice of him to write in and, you know, address us directly. You know, he's the founder of this thing and he's obviously tracking what people are saying about it and trying to put right misconceptions. Mm. And it's good that he acknowledges as well. We know that ultimately the proof is in the delivery. And yeah, that's what they will be judged by and also the longevity of it. So, well, thank you for writing to us. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed because we do all want it to work out, especially that thing about uh, the price not being too expensive. So yeah, we'll have to watch for that one. Mm. We also had Alex, the KDE president, write to us about offline updates, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He said, offline updates is something that comes from package kit and every client could support it. We've wanted to have it for Neon for a while now, but we never found the time. It wasn't until PinePhone started getting real that we realized that on some systems, upgrades are devastating, especially on less powerful devices where the system would lock up sometimes, which is especially bad during an upgrade. The system would end up unusable and you'd have to reflash a big mess. 
Then it turns out that this happens, to a much lesser measure, on Neon as well. And I imagine other distros too. This is one of those cases where I've never experienced this problem is not a good enough answer. We are making our operating systems to be reliable for everyone, and it's to this extent that we need to set up our defaults. You were very right in pointing out that you can just use apt-get. You can also just use pkcon, since it's a setting only discover enforces, and it can be disabled with a simple command. Now I'm sending this because I feel it's important that on communications like yours, we keep the big picture in mind. It's not really acceptable to pitch the everyone should be using Linux and then moan when features like this are put on the table. I would even argue that we need to be collectively open-minded enough to offer a clear path to a future of Linux and FOSS that is better for the greater good, even if it makes some things that we're used to doing harder. In my mind, this involves tighter adoption of Wayland and a decisive empowering of the app's ecosystem, sometimes in contrast to the tight distro ecosystem we're used to. Right, to answer that, I said to him, I actually replied to him separately and I said I would try it twice. Twice I've tried it and twice I've had a problem. And I have had almost no problems with apt previously. Even today where Frameworks 5.8 came out. The reason I don't like this is the fact that you tell it you're going to do the install, it queues it up, and then the next reboot, you have a delayed reboot, which reminds me horribly of the way Windows does its updates. And uh, as I said to myself, I don't think that is the update system to copy because I think that is possibly one of the worst update experiences of any operating system that has ever existed on the face of the universe. It is just a horrible, crappy, slow waste of time. And you, the worst thing you get is when you start your machine and you hit a massive delay as it then does updates in the background. Now, with the graphics boot enabled, you just kept this 100% flashing up repeatedly as it's obviously doing each package and if you press escape and you see the packages going past i had this horrible message which i took a photo of where it was saying blah blah job did not complete trying x of retry and i don't know what was going on in the background but then it was doing all these updates meanwhile of all these packages and i thought you know which bit's broken here is it something related to this or is it not and yeah it actually knocked my Z pool completely offline and uh, it, it no longer existed on the system when I came back in. That could be completely unrelated, and I have no idea. The only problem is that I had a weird update with this prior to that as well, and it's just that horrible feeling of being in a boot sequence with packages getting installed, not being able to get to your machine, and you're looking at things going wrong. I just, I, I'm not entirely keen on it. And, you know, I think, yes, we absolutely have to move forward with stuff, but I'm not entirely sure this is a great thing to copy. But I can totally take the point of the phone. Like, if you need to update a phone, it's got very little resources. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. And Chris wrote in to talk about the cute conversation we had a few weeks ago. He said that, I think Phelan and Graham glossed over the cute licensing issues way too quickly. Didn't we just finish a new cycle about troll tech or whatever the bejesus they're called these days, threatening to take certain aspects of cute commercial? I do think Will has a point about GNOME's approachability for end users, but ultimately, if there's one thing big companies get super worried about, it's licensing. Now, if only GNOME would stop navel-gazing and redesigning itself from scratch every few years, it would catch up with KDE in terms of having mature features that work, like the full-screen zoom low-vision folks like myself need to use it successfully, which KDE has had working perfectly for at least a decade. 
it's been broken since at least Ubuntu 1910, but at least now there's an upstream GNOME bug for it, but it's been marked as medium, so I'm not holding my breath. Oh, I think Chris has got a good point. Um, I do. We did kind of brush over the cute licensing, but I think for me that's because we seem to bring it up quite a lot. Um, and maybe I forget to re-emphasize it. We've certainly had long discussions in the past about how Trolltech really messed it up in the beginning with its proprietary licensing and totally led to the development of GDK and GNOME and everything. Um, and that isn't to be forgotten. And also, I think we have been pretty critical about the new licensing regime they're imposing and the difficulty it might lead to if, if Neon has to fork, for example, if Plasma has to fork. The thing is, though, it is GPL code. So, I mean, no matter what they do, that GPL code is still there. So it's still as good as what GTK is. Yeah, with playing devil's advocate, but with the main group of developers being aligned to the proprietary pod product. Yeah, but don't worry, Gnome will never stop navel-gazing, so it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got some more feedback from Haley on a recent Late Night Linux Extra where we discussed getting kids into Linux. As for getting kids into Linux, I hate to say this, uh, for the record, I do not advocate this, but what got me into Linux when I was in high school was a friend telling me, you know, the real hackers all use Linux. He meant people who break into computer systems, to be clear. I've never actually broken into computer systems, but it was the spark that got me started down the Linux rabbit hole. I remember in recent years seeing some terribly misguided posters that were put up around London by their police cyber crimes division, warning parents about catching their kids with Kali Linux on their computers and reporting them to the police if they did. It wouldn't surprise me if this did far more to get kids interested in Linux than any targeting strategy the FOSS folks could come up with. Lol. <laughs> this might not get all kids interested, but a good lot of them would probably be much more interested if they found out running a script you downloaded isn't real hacking and the kind of power that allows one the freedom to really explore and poke and prod the boundaries is only going to be found in FOSS. Well said. Yeah, and we've had a few people say kind of similar things about how the customization of Linux is something that is really appealing to kids as well because they love to customize everything, whether it's putting stickers on stuff or customizing their characters in video games or whatever. So, yeah, I think with that like slightly, uh, uh, you know, dangerous vibe of it or whatever and you know the hacking and stuff like even if that's enough to get them to check it out and then realize actually that's really hard but hey this system's really cool and then they get into freedom and all the rest of it i think that that's a great point yes very well made so what you're really saying is that mark should spend his money on balaclavas and hoodies yeah instead of free cds of ubuntu definitely yeah and darkened rooms so finally peter says yes fair email handles multiple accounts very well I have five currently set up from three different providers with no issue. This was uh, an Android uh, free and open source email client that you, Phelim, had said you hoped would support multiple accounts, but uh, the screenshots didn't make that obvious. But uh, Peter says it does, so that's good to know. Yeah, I had a look at the website and some screenshots, and yeah, it looks really cool. So I might actually give that a go if I can get over my inertia. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's good to know that there's a potential alternative though there absolutely if anything goes wrong with k9 or whatever right well with that then we'd better get out of here we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing what's been going on in the news probably but until then i've been joe i've been phelan i've been graham and i've been well see you later